over the coming days, um, as you go about your normal lives, you'll be encountering people. And it's those people I'd like to pray for today. So please join me as we um, seek the Lord on these things. Dear Father, this morning we would affirm our love for you and our love for each other. And you've placed a testimony on our hearts of Jesus. He has redeemed us. And even at this moment, Lord, he is changing our lives and our hearts to be more like you. And we praise you and thank you for it. And we know, Lord, that your heart is towards all people. And today we would like to just bring before you those people that we're going to encounter as we walk in your ways and under the guidance of your Holy Spirit over the coming days. Father, we know that we meet people as we, uh, in, our, in our workplaces, we meet our neighbours, we meet the people in the shops and just going about our daily business. And to these people, Lord, we want to express your heart to them. We want to be, to be able to encourage them, Lord, to... Um, Show them not only by our uh, words, but by our actions, your love. And Father, we know that to do that, we need your Holy Spirit to guide us, to walk with us, to be with us. We need to know, Lord, that there are times when we are quickened by the Holy Spirit. And through shyness or through other uh, things, Lord, we may uh, avoid doing what we know that would be good to do. And so, Father, this morning we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit into those circumstances in us that we might exalt you by our lives and by our actions and by our deeds, by our words, Lord. We don't want this to be... We know, Lord, you're not wanting us to be a heavy thing on us. You want it to be a natural thing. And Father, we need to grow in that naturalness of walking in your ways. And so, Father, this morning we present these situations to you. You know them. We present our hearts to you and we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come and quicken us in those times. Help us, Lord, to be aware of them, to, be, to know them and to take advantage of them in your name that you might be glorified on the earth. In Jesus we pray. Amen. David, thank you uh, for leading us in prayer. Uh, it's my great Pleasure to welcome to the front now uh, Pastor Bill Vasilakis. Uh, most will know Bill uh, has many roles within our movement. He's uh, both the, the senior minister of uh, Christian Family Centre Churches, uh, the chair of our Christian Family Centre board. Uh, he also has a national role within our denomination as the national chair as well. So wears many hats, um, has many roles in the movement and re really blessed by him setting aside time to come and spend time here and share the word with us today uh, as he has been uh, over the, the past many years as well. So Bill, always love to have you amongst us. Just welcome you forward today and look forward to what you've got to share. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. I love that prayer of David's. I just named about 20 people as you were praying, David. I thought, that man's got faith to believe. So I've listed all those people. So you expect the Lord to work through 
that prayer of faith to touch loved ones and friends and oh, how they need Jesus, eh? A broken world that we live in. And um, gee, I love, I was at um, uh, Hope Central Church uh, last week, Damien, because you were up there and uh, Pastor Joe Habermill, he was our youth pastor for a couple of years in the late 90s and we sent him to a small little group in Anglevale, a bunch of Italians, an Italian church. I thought that'll fix him up, little work with Italians and, uh, and a few Aussies. Well, it's become a church of probably 800 people now and they've planted in, in, in Elizabeth. It's a multi-site church like the Christian families. So they've got a, a site in, in um, Salisbury and one in Gawler and they're planning for six and so I reckon they'll probably hit a thousand people. They're just going gangbusters. So when I was there, I saw an old boy like John. John, you don't mind me calling you an old boy, you're a young man. And um, this guy had long hair, John's age, but long flowing white hair. And he had a Beatles t-shirt on, but he looked like Roger Dowtry of The Who. <laughs> so I went up to him and, uh, and, and I said, I said, you got a Beatles shirt, but you, you look like Roger Dowtry. He goes, I used to play Imitation Who in our band. And, uh, and he was uh, uh, from the UK as well. And so you're from Yorkshire. Fantastic. And you haven't lost your accent one bit like Pastor Mick Hutchfield from our team. And uh, so it's great. I love churches that are people, we believe we're a church for all people, all ages and uh, young and old and uh, it's terrific. And I have to say that because I turned 65 yesterday and my family had a party for me. So uh, I don't look at it, do I? I just say, don't look at it, I look 55, right? <laughs> lie, please, lie. Um, <laughs> you're 75 fantastic you look terrific great um, what's the number one truth of all truths as Christians what, what's the number the most important thing in life as a Christian to know and to have experienced I would have to say knowing that you're saved we sang that song that, that's, those words were beautiful about uh, the the What's it? Red. I've got to get those words. Blood, red, love. Blood ran red, sin washed white. Blood ran red, sin washed white. Oh, I heard that. I thought that's it. Forty-eight years ago, I experienced that, and I have to say, the number one experience of all is to know Jesus as one's personal saviour, Lord, Master. To know you're saved. To know all your sins are forgiven. Past, present, future. Sins that I commit this week, they're under the blood of Christ. And when the Father looks at me, he doesn't look at my sinfulness. He looks at Christ's righteousness that has been given as a gift. Can't save ourselves. We're saved by grace through faith. That's to be number one truth. And then, uh, you know, number two truth. What's the number two truth? Now, we're in a good Pentecostal church and people say baptism in water. By immersion is number two truth. Others will say baptism in the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues, number two truth. Healing of our bodies, uh, casting out devils, uh, number three, number four truth. And I have to say no to all those. Even though I am an evangelical Pentecostal believer and lead a Pentecostal denomination, I would have to say outside of salvation by grace, the most important truth for you and for us as a church is to be at the very centre of God's will to know God's will in your life and to be enjoying it and to be happy in what you're doing in him. And so I want to share a little bit uh, this morning and I felt I I hadn't made up my mind what to preach on until probably uh, Thursday. And 
And I just felt to share this because of what we're going through as a local church. Uh, the question I'm, I'm raising is how does Jesus guide us individually and collectively as a local church? Now, in the three books that I've written, The Leader I Can Be, which has just been released, The Church We Can Be, and The Me I Can Be, I've done those over the past two years, inherent in those books is the guiding presence of God the leading of God in my own life over now 40, this is my 41st year in leading the Christian Family Centre. And, um, and I, I can say, you know what, when I look back and, and, and as you read the books, you realise, wow, this is like a book of Acts. God has actually, Jesus is the head of his church and he leads us and guides us to be at the very centre of his will and purpose. And so if you really want to know what I believe about leadership, church, the gospel, uh, and, and read the stories, grab hold of my book. Some of you have, I've got about five or six of each out there. But uh, what I'm sharing today is inherent in the books. How does Jesus guide us? Firstly, by his authoritative word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, teaching you, we all need teaching, rebuking, we don't need rebuking, we'd hate rebuking, uh, but it's good for us. And the scripture rebukes us when we're doing the things that are wrong. Correcting us when we're misaligned and, uh, and training us in righteousness to live the right kind of life, to understand that what it means to live a righteous life because we've been declared righteous, we can't get saved by our good works, but once we've been declared righteous and God's presence comes into us, he gives us the power now to make adjustments to live the right kind of life. He doesn't wait for us to say, well, you better get your act together first before I save you. No, he saves you in your sins and gives you forgiveness. But then gradually he changes us to, to live the right kind of life. And so, uh, and training in righteousness, and then in verse 17, which is not on there, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped. We want to be thoroughly equipped by the word. So how does God guide us? By his authoritative word. See, God's will is always in harmony with his word, always. If your guidance, if you are sensing the Lord guiding you and it's not in harmony with the Bible, I'm sorry, but you're misinformed. And over the years, I have heard some humdinger stories from people. I mean, what people think God tells them to do. And I say, he is <laughs> telling you that? I said, that's unusual. One day I had a, a lady come to me and, and she said, Pastor Bill, she's been in the church for five or six years. She goes, the Lord has revealed to me that I need to divorce my husband. I said, he has? I'm there, How'd you figure that one out? And he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't saved. But she became a Christian. She goes, well, when we got together, it kind of like, there was a bit of hanky-panky and we weren't living in God's way. We both were pagans. And I'm thinking, so what? That's not a big deal. Bit of hanky-panky before you're married. Most non-Christians do that. It's not a big deal. It's easily forgiven and restored. Born-again believers, no. So she goes, and so, and I've come to the Lord and I know him and love him, but he's just got worse. So, and, and God's revealed to me that we weren't meant to marry Ha, light and darkness, you use scriptures out of context. Light, and, and I, so I'm listening to, to her story. And, um, and she was convinced. And, and then I, I actually then took her to Matthew 19, the great statements of Jesus 
about marriage and being for life. And I also talked to her about 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says the very question. So if your husband's not a believer, what do you do? You stay married to him. God recognises the marriage. And Paul said outside of, of uh, adultery, and, uh, and you could throw in that hardness of heart, if there's physical violence and, and, and stuff like that and you know, gross immorality that's unrepented, all that stuff. Well, yeah, a person can divorce. There's got to be a reason for it. So actually, I, I went through the scripture. She was not moved. God had spoken to her. And you know what? She ended a marriage. The irony was the old boy that was this cantankerous, he was a cantankerous old coot. <laughs> but he was a, a loving cantankerous old coot. He never belted her up. He never made immoral things. He never did things that were bad. He worked hard, raised two or three kids and was basically a good Aussie, a good sinful Aussie. You know what I mean? Just a normal sinful Aussie that just needed to come to Christ. Well, he came to Christ and he became this beautiful, loving, giving, generous man. I couldn't believe it. And uh, he had a near-death experience actually and one of our pastors visited him in hospital and he led him to Christ. That still didn't move her to come back to him. She lost her husband, she lost her church, she lost her kids and lost her way because she foolishly believed that God would direct her and guide her and her pastor spent probably three or four hours on two occasions going through the scripture. I actually did a Bible study with her explaining her, I said, honey, listen, God's word says this, God's will will never go against his word. Couldn't convince her. Horror story, but true. You see, the matter of your guidance, if you sense you're being guided by God, must not contravene known and accepted biblical Christian principles from Genesis to Revelation. And, and, and if, it, if it contravenes something that's accepted by the church, the evangelical church, the traditional church as being something that's a standard principle of scripture. I don't mean taking a scripture out of context and misapplying it. A lot of people do. You take a scripture out of context, it becomes a pretext, you know, and, and people have crazy ideas. They read something in the Old Testament and say, oh, that's what God says. No, 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 it's just a story to, to illustrate to us what not to do. But God wants polygamy. No, he doesn't. From the beginning, Genesis 1, it's one man, one woman for life. Adam and Eve, and it wasn't Joan and Frida, and it was just Adam and Eve. And then Jesus says, no, no, it's one, one person for life. Just because Abraham and all those others decided to have two, three, four, five, ten wives, they were stupid. They were dumb. I mean, I love those guys, but they were stupid. And uh, Jesus made it very clear that one man, one woman for life. So we know what the scripture teaches. Uh, you can't take scriptures out of context. It's as foolish as, as someone trying to get guidance and going, oh, Lord, anoint my finger. I don't know where to go. And I'll just... Guide me. They turned to the Bible and it says Judas went and hanged himself. Oh, that's not the best. I'll do it again. Oh, Jesus, guide me in your word. I open the Bible and they anoint this finger. What? What thou must do? No, no, it says go and do likewise. What? The third one? You've all heard this story, haven't you? This one? The third one? You haven't heard this one? This is an old one. So the guy goes, Lord, guide me, please. This must be the one. What thou must do, do it quickly. As if you're going to go and bump yourself off. 
But some people treat the Bible like it's, you know, like, like salt and pepper, just proof texting preconceptions and not knowing the scripture. And so we are a church, the Christian Family Centre, and we are individual believers who we say Jesus guides us, but he guides us according to his word. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, notice teaching and admonishing one another, even as we sing. So what we sang today, believe it or not, a lot of it was scripture. When I listen, watch words, I check out for doctrine. Anything weird there, anything contrary to scripture, I'll say to our song leaders, what have you got that song up there for? That's kind of salvation by works. Well, this is kind of pleading for God to come and visit me where God's already visited me and I'm indwelt by him. So I, I, I try and say, cut that out. We don't need that song. I mean, beautiful music and nice poetic words, but not correct doctrine. So I try and assess that all the time. And so, so here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When you have songs like we sang today, the word, it, it, it's wise, it teaches us, it admonishes us, which is a beautiful word of loving correction. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the word of God, guys, is our roadmap for life. It's God's written will for humanity and it's relevant for all people at all times and for you. You need to be guided by God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and you will find that becomes a foundation for his direction. Secondly, how does Jesus guide us? By his all-powerful spirit. We are people of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is in heaven. And when he arrived in heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to come and indwell our bodies. How's that? God wants to live in our bodies. He's never wanted to live in a tent or a building. He wanted to live in our bodies. The only reason he couldn't live in our bodies is because sin separated us from God. And what's perfect can't live in imperfection. What's sinless can't live in sinfulness. But our sin has been covered. The temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. There's no barrier now between a perfect God and sinful humanity because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed so that, so that we could be saved and now the Spirit could come and indwell us. And what a wonderful gift he is. I think having the Holy Spirit is, is the greatest gift. So wonderful that we have his presence in us. Now, this is what Paul said. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. In other words, to be led and guided by Jesus is our natural birthright as God's children. I remember when I was a young university student, I grabbed a series of Jeff Bingham's lectures, and I loved Jeff Bingham. Just uh, got to know him as an older man, and he preached in, in some of our scenes. And, and um, in this series, about, it was about 500 tapes on Romans. You know, like, like so many. But I went through them all, and, and I remember one of the things that, that opened my eyes, this scripture, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. He said, and, and he basically, I still remember him saying it, he says, this is the hallmark of, that, you, that you are a child of God. You will be able to be led by God. It's not something extraordinary. It's part of the birthright package that he will lead you and guide you. You're not going to be led by demons. You're not going to be led by your own thoughts. You're not going to be led by other people's opinions. You're going to be led by the Holy Spirit safely. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Oh, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know. No, 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 no. All that stuff is gone. You have a father in heaven. You have Jesus who is your high priest. He's your friend. And you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. You don't have to fear. You can relax and trust him and say he's going to guide you in the right way. 
Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, this is male and female. The concept of sonship is adoption, the Roman concept of, of adoption, and uh, where a father could actually adopt whoever he wanted into his family, male, female. In fact, he could even disown his natural, natural kids and adopt somebody if his, kid, if his natural kid was a bad kid. He'd say, I think I, li- I think I like you instead. So he could adopt you into his family and you, you took on his name. And remember the film Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston? Anyone not seen Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston? You've all seen it. If you haven't seen it, you're sinning. You've got to see it. It's the greatest film ever made. It still makes me weep. And, and Judah Ben-Hur, he gets adopted by this admiral. And uh, he becomes his son. And he says to him, my son died in a war many years ago. He goes, you Judah, I want you. And I said, God, I can't be your son, I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm. He goes, no, no, you, and he takes his ring and says, now you're my son. Everything I have, all my money, all my, that concept is now yours. And Paul took that concept and said, doesn't matter where you've come from, you were, he, was a, he was a galley slave. And he ends up becoming the adopted son of an admiral. And everything that admiral, his name, his wealth, his position was now his. So when he says we're adopted, we are adopted into his family and everything that belongs to Jesus now comes to us by grace. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know what that means? It doesn't like now, dear heavenly Father. It's Daddy, dear Daddy. It's not God a million miles away. It's a loving Father. We have an image of God smiling at us, not being angry at us, not wagging the finger with open arms saying, come, come on, I love you, I've saved you, I don't look at your sin, I'm not angry with you, I'm angry at the devil, I'm angry at sin, but not at you because your sin has been covered. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Wow, so it's your birthright. And have a look when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and a lot of people don't actually see this, that they read the first few verses when the Spirit came, which is very dramatic. But, but the, the, Luke says this is what Peter said. He goes, in the last days, and the last days technically, theologically began with the, the ascension of Jesus and the giving of the Spirit. So when people say the last days are coming upon us now, no, it's not true. The last days actually began with the coming of the Spirit, the birth of the church, the age of grace, the age of the Spirit. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters. This is radical. Women? Getting the spirit? Give me a break. That was an anti-women society. They were restricted. Now it says, no, no, no. Sons and daughters will prophesy. The spirit will come on you and supernaturally, you'll have insight, wisdom, <laughs> direction. He will, and and you, can, you can receive that for yourself and pass it on to others as well. Your young men will see visions and your old boys will dream dreams. I'm in between. Because senior now, in our church at Seton, we have a, a senior service. It started at 65, it went to 70, now it's 75. You've got to be 75 to join it. And when I turn 75, it'll be 80. Just keeps going up, okay? Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, slaves, lowly workers. Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So we, we have the Holy Spirit who guides us. 
Now let me say this, the Holy Spirit will not guide you contrary to the word. So you may receive a spiritual gift. Somebody may prophesy and give you, kind of speak to you. And, but if that's kind of like contrary to the word, well, throw it out. They're obviously making it up in their own head. It's not of the Lord because you've got to assess prophecy and words of knowledge. In fact, I, I give words of knowledge all the time where I'm going and I, I qualify and I say, look, I could be wrong. It could be out of my own mind, but it could be the Holy Spirit. So you assess it. You test it. Go and see a leader. Don't act on it. I could be wrong. I'm not God. But if, but if, if the Holy Spirit is giving me a prophetic word for you and it confirms what the Lord is saying to you, great. If it's not, wait for it to be confirmed. Don't act upon it. Like, there was the CRC church. I'm embarrassed to say this. It doesn't exist anymore, and you'll see the reason why. The pastor was a fruitcake. How he got into that role beats me. In those days, anyone that led someone to Christ, this is met 40 years ago, anyone that led someone to Christ, had a group of people, our CRC movement, oh, that's God, let's just recognise him as a pastor. Now, you go through about 3,000 hoops. We have a ministry credentialing process with about 100 competencies, training minister, state minister, national minister. We assess character. We assess competency. We assess family life, marriages, record, uh, what people say. So this guy had a troublesome member. And the guy just gave him trouble. How big a trouble it was, I don't know. Maybe he didn't know how to handle him. So, but what he did, he started prophesying. He prophesied him that the Lord was calling him to go to Queensland, that there was a great ministry there, and that when you went, and, and the guy only took it and went to Queensland, sold his house, everything else, went there, and it was a disaster. Lost his money. And when he came to see me, I said, it was a false prophecy. I said, that, that guy's not even in ministry anymore. I said, you, you don't act upon it. I don't care if it's a pastor. I don't care who it is is if Jesus is not saying that to you, you've got to assess it. And, um, and not just that, but then you, you look at the motive of the person, why are they prophesying? So he prophesied him out the church and it caused disaster. So uh, to me, that's terrible behaviour. But the Holy Spirit, when he speaks and gives words, it's fantastic. For me, uh, and again, it's in the books, 20 years ago when I had, this is the third big crisis of my life, and I was ready to quit. I just had it. I think every 10 years you should resign in, in your mind, but don't write the letter, but don't send it. Everyone should just kind of, no, not your marriage, of course, but you know, like. <laughs> so I nearly did that once in the early 80s, gosh. And uh, thankfully, you know, you, 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 if you're led by your emotions, you can trip yourself up. Anyway, so I'm in a bad state and depressed, down, confused, um, and, uh, and yet God was blessing my life and ministry. And uh, it was amazing how he spoke to me. I'm doing my daily Bible study. This is 1997. I'm doing my daily Bible study. And we had a Bible reading plan. In those days, it's not just one chapter. It was about five chapters a day, six chapters to do the whole Bible. So I thought, okay, I better do my Bible study. And I checked out Mark, whatever it was, Mark 5, 6, and then Psalm. And I could not believe it. When I read Mark, it was like it shone out. It was like, a, I mean, wow. It was like the Lord said, that's for you, son. Wow, that's, that's something. And, then I, and, and it was just a wonderful word. And then, so I wonder what the psalm says. I go to the psalm, and again, it confirmed Mark 5. And I'm having a, a revival in my bedroom 
as God is speaking to me through his word. It was amazing. And then two pastors come up to me within a short period of time. One takes me out for a cup of coffee, another one at a conference, and they start prophesying. They had no idea what was going on. And, and, one, and it was like the Holy Spirit through these guys and the word of God was able to provide clarity. The confusion left. I had to bow my knee to Jesus and, and rededicate myself to the call. I had to repent of some attitudes that I had. But it was wonderful how God guides us through his word, how he guides us through the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be here to you today, talking to you, if I didn't believe in the all-powerful Holy Spirit to guide us. He gives us visions. He gives us dreams. Visions, dreams, prophetic words, gifts of the Spirit. Be open to it, to receive, and also for you to, to share with people what you sense with them. Thirdly, how does Jesus guide us? He guides us by his circumstantial working. <laughs> the Bible is full of examples, if you haven't noticed, about how God works through the unique situations of life. I mean, there's some humdinger situations that people face. Like you think, no, that's bad. Well, that's really, that's silly. You know, like, this is bizarre. And yet, you see how God works. I mean, the classic story of Joseph. I mean, people are, his brothers want to kill him. And he himself is an egomaniac, you know, like he thinks he's, he's it in the bit as the youngest, sport brat. And uh, he, he teases his brothers chronically by thinking, you know, and, and they end up want to kill him. And so, and you look at his life, <laughs> left him for dead, dad's in grief, ends up in prison. <laughs> but, and then at the end of the story of Joseph, it, when the brothers came back, and he's now prime minister of Egypt, amazing story. He says, well, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. God didn't cause the evil, you did the evil, but God worked in the situation to save lives through me. Amazing story. You, you read uh, the whole Old Testament. You read the New Testament. There are so many situations where, where we can't see God working, but he's there as if God's asleep, as if he doesn't care. He cares for every aspect of your life. And even though you may not be aware of his presence and his guiding hand, he is there. You've got to trust that if you're a lover of Jesus, that he is working in your life and through your life. That's why it says this, and we know that in all things, not some things, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Not all things are good. Some things are terrible and horrible. And I've had some terrible and horrible things happen in my life. And dealing with being on the cold face of human suffering and pain, I mean, it's just awful. Having to deal just over the just past couple of weeks of Somebody who committed adultery, oh man. Guiding the pastor who's directing this person. I mean, they've got no idea the misery and the pain. And, and you know, adultery always causes such terrible pain, such terrible evil towards the rejected spouse, towards the children, towards the family. Towards, oh man, it doesn't pay. Awful. One of the worst of sins, and, and, and it can be forgiven, and I've restored people back, but the implications for children and grandchildren and friends, and it's just horrendous. And, um, and yet I've seen God work good in spite of terrible situations. You know, children dying suddenly, suddenly a child dies. Oh. 
and evil, you know, just awful things. And yet people that love God, somehow God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And look at Philippians 2. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill God's purpose. The Lord will guide you, folks, by circumstances in regard to the time factor. There is a timing in the things of God. There is a timing to, that, that, that we've got to move in. You know, God, God will open the right doors for you and he will close the wrong doors for you. That's a prayer I pray often. I say, God, just close the door. If this is wrong, just close the door. If it's right, just open the door. And, um, you know, it's like Paul. If you read the book of Acts, you see it. And you read the story of Paul's second missionary journey. He starts out the second missionary journey in Acts chapter 16. It wasn't a very pretty start compared to the first missionary journey. The first missionary journey, prayer, prophecy, laying on of hands, they go, amazing things happen. The second missionary journey starts out with a fight. He and Barnabas divide the team. It, the dissension was so great that, that, that kind of the elders of, of the church, the leadership team of the church, Antioch, go, mm, man, just we commend you to the grace of God because they couldn't fix it. So the greatest ministry team in the New Testament, church planting team, split in half. Paul takes Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark, who was the issue between them, the guy who wrote the gospel. So it really started not very good. The second one, you think, man, can God use Paul, cantankerous guy that he is, argumentative man, why didn't he just reach out to John Mark? Later on, he restores John Mark and John Mark writes the gospel and the gospel of Mark became the foundation for the other three gospels or the, the synoptic gospels. But he was pretty tough and you think, well, but you read the second missionary journey and see how God worked in spite of Paul's cantankerous nature. And then he's going, he's crossing over central Turkey and he sees all the population of Asia Minor. Asia Minor is on the coast of Turkey, all the Greek-speaking areas and, and beautiful area. I've been there, Asia Minor. So Paul thinks, okay, man, Asia Minor, all the people are there. So he tries to go in there, and the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go. Goes, to, goes further up to the border, Holy Spirit says, no. How the Holy Spirit said, no, we don't know. Could have been through prophetic words. It could have been his own sense. So then he's at Troas, ancient Troy. I've been there as well. Troas, right by the Hellespont near Gallipoli as you cross it. And as he, he's there, he gets a vision of a Greek man. Hey, come over here. Where? Greece, dummy. God wants to reach Europeans. It's not just, the gospel's not just for Judea, Samaria and the Middle East. It's for Europe. Oh, okay. So he goes, and that's when he starts his missionary journey and reaches Greece. And then when he finishes that, he gets on a boat and he crosses the Aegean and goes to Ephesus. He sees the city, the third largest city in the world. It was like Rome. It, it, was, it was the centre of Diana worship, Artemis worship. And um, I've been to ancient Ephesus. Some of you may have been there too. It's an amazing place. And so Paul goes, man, man, Ephesus, this is the place. It's like Sydney is to New South Wales. It's like Adelaide is to the rest of the, the, the South Australia. So he goes back to Jerusalem. You know what he does next time? When he comes in, the third missionary journey, he goes, Holy Spirit doesn't say, don't go to Asia Minor. Zoom, straight to Ephesus. He stays there nearly three years. And it says in Acts chapter 19, from Ephesus, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole of Asia Minor. If he had gone from village to village, when the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 it would have taken him 30 years. 
But he goes into the capital, sets up Bible schools, trains people, and they reach Asia Minor in, in, in nearly three years. See, God was working, but Paul couldn't see it. It's a great story, that one. You check it out, the beginning of, of the second missionary journey. Or you think of Philip. Philip is Mr. Practical Man. Okay, we need to feed people. We need to, in the Jerusalem church, he's one of the great seven Greek leaders that the, the uh, Greek Jewish Christian leaders who got saved. So Philip and Stephen, they're doing all the practical stuff. Acts 1.8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses everywhere. They didn't take that. They just stayed put in Jerusalem. It took persecution, Acts 8.1, to drive them out. So Philip gets driven out. What does he do? He ends up in Samaria. He's not trained as a preacher. He's not trained as, a, as an evangelist or as a science-following ministry. But he goes there and a revival occurs. Amazing. So Acts 1.8, the promise to reach the whole world. They stay put in Jerusalem for a few years. Acts 8.1, persecution breaks out. They scatter, running for their lives. For God had a revival in mind in, 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 uh, in Samaria. So God works He's working both ways. You may not see what he's doing, but he's working. I know when I first, in 1977, uh, Leo Harris, the, the founder of the CRC, had just suddenly died. And I'm a young guy being trained under him and, and school teacher and, you know, and all, all that stuff and, and had been through Bible College University. And, um, and so God had used me in revivals in schools and universities. I won't bore you with that, but... But my reputation was going out. So there were people coming from interstate wanting me to come in to lead their churches. So one guy came in and he interviewed Barry Chant and said, oh yeah, about Bill Vassal, I'd like to interview him to become the associate pastor of my church, about three or 400 people. And the old boys, you know, he thought, oh, well, I'll, you know, it was full salary, car. <laughs> like it was like for a poor boy who was just, earning a little bit of money, one hour a day teaching so I could evangelise the schools. So it seemed really good. Then at the same time, the offer came from my best friend to say, Bill, the Christian Family Centre, you know, you're coming once a month to preach because they would support me in my ministry because I don't really want to lead it. Can you lead it? I said, oh, no. So you started it, you lead it. So I just said, no. So he, oh, because he went on long service leave as a public servant. I'll test it whether I should be the leader. He does it, it was a disaster. Comes back the second time, says, Bill, I just feel you should be. I said, Ray, I said, you started it, you lead it. I'm, I'll start my own thanks in the Western suburbs. I know I've got to be in the Western suburbs. Anyway, so cut a long story short, this guy comes from Victoria, sees Barry Chant. Barry Chant was our state chairman then and one of my mentor figures and still is. A beautiful man. And uh, so Barry spoke to me. He says, Bill, what are you thinking? I said, I'm a little bit confused. I said, on the one hand, what an offer. Large church, full salary, like boom, 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 all that stuff. Another one, 20 people. No constitution, no setup, no organisation. They haven't even done their books of account for the last two years. What the heck? It was all done legally. And Arena Smythe was actually the bookkeeper, but they hadn't registered. Yeah, it was just a whole pile of stuff. Anyway, um, in my heart I felt the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, the little one, the little one, you're only 24 the little one, but I didn't want to listen to that because there was the big one. And it was like, wow, this is something. You know, and it appealed to my pride, my sense of ego. Uh, I'm an incredibly ambitious person. I was then, I still am now. 
but that ambitions had to be purified. And in those days, it was, it was mixed. And then, but I knew the voice of the Spirit saying, Bill, the little one. So Barry Chant spoke to me. He says, Bill, he goes, my advice to you is take the Christian Family Centre. And I said, why? He goes, because you'll grow with it. You're not ready for a church of three or 400 people. You will grow with it and you'll mature with it. And you know, that was what the voice of the Spirit said to me. And so the, the circumstantial working, the Holy Spirit working, and proven leaders like Barry Chant working, and, uh, um, and the circumstances of my life. If I had taken that church interstate, I wouldn't have married Kathy. I wouldn't have my kids, my grandkids. What? My beautiful children, my beautiful... I can't imagine life what they were meant to be. They're not an accident. God was guiding. I wouldn't have the Christian Family Centre and the privilege of what, what's taken place. It's just awe-inspiring, amazing. I think, man, I'm just so glad I could grow with it. You know, kind of fall over and bleed a little bit and pick myself up, have people to, to, to clean me up and get me going again. And so, as circumstance, God is working both ends. Read the story of, of, of Peter and Cornelius, Acts chapter 10 and 11. Peter has this vision, doesn't know what the heck's going on. What's this? Kill and eat? Peter goes, no, I can't. He argues with God. Cornelius has the same vision in Caesarea, Philip's in Joppa. Both have the same vision. Cornelius is an Italian centurion who's not a believer. Peter is a... And somehow they meet together. So God works both ends, but sometimes we don't know it. That's why be patient, don't rush. Wait. And that's why the next point's so important is Jesus leads us, guides us by his proven leaders. See, God's will is not frightened by counsellors. But you need advisors who are more experienced and more successful than you in that area that you're seeking wisdom in. People you can respect, not people who demand respect, but people you can respect because of their track record, proven track record. And, uh, you know, and, uh, again, oh, I have people coming, Pastor Bill, I, I feel God is speaking to me about this. Who have you gone to see? And they go and see somebody who's a newer convert. Or he goes to his best mate who knows less than him, and they're like, yeah, I think that's good. That's dumb. You don't go to somebody less mature. You don't go to, it could be somebody younger, but someone who's more experienced in life. So if somebody wants to start a business in our church, and I say, well, you need to go and talk to Wayne, or you need to go and talk and they don't. They think they know. They go and talk to somebody they want to employ. They have no idea about business and books and accounting and minutes and decision making and risk taking and none of that stuff. And so you've got to, you've got to go to proven leaders, not just those that are going to agree with you. And, uh, and we can safely submit to leaders, folks, this is so important, who are accountable. See, submission today is a dirty word. Obedience today is a dirty word. And I would say we are to submit to leaders and obey them who are accountable. I would never serve under somebody who wasn't accountable and that means sackable. I wouldn't, just wouldn't do it. So with all the authority and influence that I have as head of the CFC, head of the CRC, I can be sacked by our board of elders, directors, and also by a national executive team. I wouldn't have it any other way. Our board of elders who oversee Christian Family Centre churches, we have an advisory council, nominated people, that if we got ourselves into trouble, they would actually take over the enterprise. 
and they have to work with our national executive team because again, even a board of elders got to be accountable. So accountability all the way. But it doesn't mean, so I wouldn't serve under unproven leaders or unaccountable leaders. Look what, what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would not be of benefit to you. And you know, it's been a joy to work with Wayne and David and Dan and, and Sam. Uh, it's been great. And, uh, to, to, to work, and I see they're, they're actually a leadership team that you can respect. And, uh, and how we're working together with the Board of Elders. So we formed a interview panel, for those of you who are obviously keen, interview panel, the three, three of the guys here and three of our Board of Elders, and we're working together in relation to the future lead pastor. And in a couple of weeks' time, we should have some, some important news for you and, and some decisions because we're, God is leading us. But I've said to them, so we're, we're, I've said, look, guys, and also their wives, Angela and Jess and, and uh, Jenny, magnificent women. They're smarter than their men. Got to say that, don't I? But getting the correct, who said correct? <laughs> but I'm actually saying to the, to the girls, I'm saying, hey, what do you think? Because I want women involved in the process, okay? I've had my wife, and she's, my wife's been working with for 40 years. She's been involved with me in one interview just to get her spiritual Geiger counter out. You know, radioactivity or not? Any radioactivity here? Spiritually. So, and I've said to everyone, I want unanimity, unity. If there's one, dis- one person who says, nah, I said, then we go back to the drawing board. We've we got to work in love and unity. But I, the thing is, they're proven leaders. That's what I'm saying to you. These guys, I've got to know them and their wives, they're proven leaders in their field, their marriages, in their businesses, in their service. They're smart, they're wise. And you, you put that with our board of elders who've got about 150 years experience. In, you know, like uh, David Hersey's been with me for, for 48 years, we've been working together. And he's one of our elders. And um, so you, you've got to be submitted to proven, I am submitted to them. As a leader, I am submitted. As I said, I wouldn't serve under somebody who wasn't. Have a look at this, 1 Peter 5. In the same way, you who are younger, hey, you young bucks, submit yourselves to your elders. Oh, I like that one. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So it says leaders and those who are being led. Humility, all the way through. God opposes the proud but he shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Folks, it's far better to consult counsellors before you make a mistake than to have to seek their assistance later. Because then it's like, oh man, why didn't you come earlier? You know, we dealt with this man. Oh, how many people have taken in with, with scams? Nigerian scams, Indonesian scams. And, and, and I'm aware of a man who's just lost probably $2 million in a scam. Businessman, unbelievable. Just like, not in our church, but people that are aware of the situation. I thought, how do you get into that point 
where you're not listening to people and you don't submit to business leaders. The government has set up bureaus by which you can get advice and, and the police should be involved and consumer affairs. They know all about this stuff. The government's there to help us and people don't go there. Ooh, government, you know. Mark of the beast. They're there to help us. If people get taken in by scams like you've got to believe, terrible stuff, evil stuff. And um, how many people have Kath and I saved, even from our own church, who've, who've believed a scam? Maybe thirty, forty thousand dollars scams, not big ones. But and, and in talking to them, they're absolutely convinced. There's a certain personality type that loves, that believes. They're just believers. They're, but they're naive. They're believers. They believe anything. <laughs> and I say, don't believe them. Believe me. They say, what? I said, look at me. I said, believe me. My track record. Don't believe them. They're liars. They're cheats. How do you know? I just know. I said, well, check out the cops and consumer affairs. I said, if they do a, and they do a search and they come back, oh, Pastor Bill, it's right. I said, yeah, I know it's right. I said, I've dealt with this. I said, you've got to be, submit to leaders. You can smell it a mile away. You can smell a rat, can't you? You know. And if you can't, you've got to go to somebody who's wiser. Don't be taken in by scams. Proven leaders. So it's better to consult advisors. You read Proverbs. It says, in, in the multitude of counsellors, there is wisdom. And, uh, and that's why it's important. And in our decision regarding uh, who will be the lead pastor here, I can tell you, it's going to be in the multitude of counsellors with wisdom. And, um, and, and the process is actually good. Hey, finally, by his strong protecting peace. I love this one. I've got to finish with this one. Oh, how does Jesus guide us? By his authoritative word, by his all-powerful spirit, by his circumstantial working, by his proven leaders, by his strong protecting peace. Man, this is so important. Jesus will always produce, hear me on this, a genuine and lasting peace in your heart and in the life of a church. Um, if you are really sincere, you will find that at as you wait before the Lord and observe the four factors that I've talked about, observe those four factors and outwork them, the peace of God will either be disturbed or it will prevail in your heart. No middle way. It's either the alarm bells go off, ding, 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 like warning signs, or this amazing calm that just overwhelms you. The presence of God, just say, okay. All hell might be breaking loose around about you, but you have the peace of God. You're assured. Or you might pretend to have plastic peace, and people go, oh, yeah, I'm peaceful. But they're disturbed, and you can see it. See, people can pretend they're in peace, but they're disturbed, and their husband's disturbed. There's no peace in the family. There's no peace in the... Everyone's up in arms. The umpire of the Holy Spirit is blowing his whistle. Stop the game. Boom, ding, 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 ding. The train's coming. There's going to be a train wreck. And so with the peace of God, it's either one or the other. And the scripture, and one day I discovered this in the Bible. How's this? My experience, and I found these two wonderful Greek words. And I'm a Greek man. And so have a look at this. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. That Greek word rule is the word vravio. And what it means is let the peace of Christ umpire in your life. So every game has an umpire. 
right? Soccer game, footy game, snooker game. He's an umpire. And when the umpire blows his whistle, what does everyone do? Whoa, stop the game. What's going on? Hey, you headbutted him. You tripped him over. Uh, offside, foul, you touched a little red ball with your sleeve or a hair on your hand, just touched it, foul. Game stops, realignment, reassessment, refocus. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So if you are disturbed and there is no lasting peace within, folks, and the umpire of the Holy Spirit is blowing his whistle and we've got to stop the game. And uh, this is so important. It, it's, it's a great arbitrator. And here's the other one, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. I love this one. Problem. Don't be anxious. Like, can you believe Paul wrote that? Don't be anxious about anything. Every day I'm anxious. Every day. I have four children. I have six grandchildren. That's enough to give you a heart attack at least once a week. <laughs> Thinking about them. And, you know, praying for them. And, and then you, you, you think of, I lead a church. I'm the senior minister of a group of churches, families and churches. I lead a denomination. I'm dealing with people all the time. Pastors, leaders. Overseas with conferences and pastors within our movement. It's like pressures, responsibilities. And, and you're saying to me, Paul, don't be anxious about anything. I'm anxious about everything. But he gives you the antidote. I love this. Problem. But in every situation, as soon as you have an anxiety, how to stop it becoming an anxiety attack is pray. Talk to God about everything. Do your Nehemiah, shoot up your prayers. Oh Jesus, I need your help in this one. Throughout the day, a very 20 minutes passes where I don't shoot up a prayer to God. Oh, I have my daily devotions, but I'm shooting my prayers up all the time. I might be talking to you, Angela, I'm going, oh Jesus, help me about this matter. I might be talking to, to uh you and, and, and uh, you know, and, and I don't know what to say to you. You know, you've got a real issue. And I'm going, oh, Jesus, help me. This guy needs an answer and I don't know what the answer is. So I'm shooting my prayers up all the time. I'm anxious for him. What do I say? What do I do? So if you have a problem, pray. And then petition. Petition means asking a request. See, some people pray and their prayers bounce back from the ceiling. Because they just talk, 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 talk. They're not listening. Yeah, God's heard the first time. In fact, he's heard before you even articulate it. So, so pray, talk to him, ask him for help, but then praise. Prayer, petition, praise. He says, with thanksgiving. This is the faith element. You see, I haven't prayed a prayer of faith unless I believe that God is there and is good and great and that God has heard me and that the answer's on the way. And if the answer's on the way, I can be, Lord, thank you, you're there, you're good, you're great, you're all powerful. I yield it to you, this anxiety. I've talked to you, I've received, and I say, thank you. I don't have to pray it again. When the anxiety comes, I say, thank you, Lord. You're good, you're God, you're great. The answer's on the way. It'll come someday, so, it could be instant, it could be my daughter's healing. 12 years it took, 12 years of intense suffering. This little girl, amazing. And people are coming into the church, brand new Christians. They come, into Christ, they come to Christ, they're sick, we lay hands on them, they get instantly healed. Like I'm thinking, wow, I don't even know them. And my little baby, 
Every night for a year, I'm laying hands on her tummy and her organs are just in a mess and she's bleeding and, oh, and I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, using the gift of praying in tongues, probably for half an hour as she's asleep, just laying my hands on her tummy and her bowels and, and just praying for her. And it seemed like there was nothing coming through, nothing. The answer came 12 years later. But I tell you what, it taught me. I'm seeing God healing strangers and my own daughter. Oh, did it teach me things about God and about faith and healing and how God provided the, the, the healing for, for Catherine through the gift of medical science. An amazing surgeon. Groundbreaking from the Royal Children's Hospital in the Ormond Street Hospital in London. Amazing man. How God used a Chinese man. Arrogant as can be. Strutting his stuff, he's a top surgeon, his little bow tie, and I freaked out. I'm thinking, I'm not going to let my daughter. And I spoke to our specialist, said, Do you trust him? He goes, Trust him with my life. Why? And he gave me an answer. Oh. So I'm quizzing this doc, and he spent two 12 hour surgeries on my little girl when she's 16. And he healed her. And he's a pagan, not a Christian. So God works through the gift of medical science. He provide, the answer was on the way. I just didn't know. I just was told, I just had to keep on believing and keep on thanking God in advance. Because if, if the answer came instantly, you'd be God. If you could just program, okay, God, I need to do, 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 I'll just press the button and the answer's going to come like that, then you wouldn't need to pray, fast, humble yourself, call upon your friends like I did. I used to call upon my pastoral friends all over Australia. I say, okay, she's in surgery now, guys. Between there, I'm praying. Pray with me. So we're praying up a storm right across the world. I say, right at these hours. Don't just say you're going to pray. Pray. Believe. <laughs> and so the answer came in a way that I didn't expect. But here he says, look, don't be anxious. Problem. Every situation, pray. Petition. Praise. Present your requests to God. And notice this, now presence and peace. And the peace of God, because you have the presence of God in you through the Holy Spirit, which transcends all our understanding and all our misunderstandings, will guard your hearts and minds. And that word guard is furio, not brubio. It's an amazing word. In fact, guard is not the right word. The best word is fortress, garrison. It's a military term to keep by guarding, to keep guarders with a garrison of blocking up every way of escape as in a siege, of providing protection against the enemy as a garrison does, a bit like a massive castle, great big fortress and huge impenetrable gates, then a massive moat. And if you try and swim it, there's spikes underneath. And you try and cross, oh, there's crossbows that are gonna get you. I mean, they're impenetrable. All hell, a war might be going on outside that castle, but there's perfect peace in your heart and in your life. And that's a sign that you're in the will of God. That's a sign you're in the will of God. I depend on this. If I'm disturbed and I can't sleep and I'm anxious and all the people around me are disturbed, it's a sign. God's saying, I'm blowing the whistle, Billy. I'm holding up the game. You better seek some more advice. But if, in spite of what's happening around, I have perfect peace and everyone else does, it's a great sign. So my brothers and sisters, there's about a hundred stories in my books that actually open this up where I can illustrate it more. But I felt to share this with you to encourage you that God is guiding us. He really is. He's really guiding us. And he's guiding us as a church. Your team is magnificent. I get all their minutes. I meet and I take the decisions they're making, the directions for next year. And these things are taking place irrespective of the lead pastor. They're leading, and I'm giving guidance to that 
But, uh, but in the process of how we're operating, it's actually working. These things are actually working. And we can ex we, we would ex if you talk to them, say, actually, we are experiencing it, the peace of God. The circumstantial stuff. Hey, man, that's interesting. We're reading the signs. We're seeing what does the Holy Spirit saying? Is it in line with the word? And it's going to be a wonderful outcome, a good outcome that I'm sure you're going to go, wow, this is terrific. Can we stand together? I want to lead you in a prayer. And I felt this morning, for some of you in 2019, this is going to be the most important message for the year. Because you can unpack this and outwork it because some of you are disturbed right now. You're disturbed. And God has got your attention. And I'm giving you a process of how you can allow Jesus to guide you. And it's beautiful. Some of you are in perfect peace even though it's all hell out there. And it's like, wow. What is that? It's a sign that God's got it under control. And he's encouraging you in that. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to what other people say. Okay? Assess who those people are. Are they wiser than you? Are they more experienced than you? Do they have your best interests at heart? Or are they just critical? Want to pull you down? You always go to people that are loving because the will of God never violates the love of God either. I could have put that down. Will of God never violates the love of God. And, and, and so you go to people that are wiser, smarter, but people that love you and have your best interest and are prepared to speak the truth in love. You don't go to critics who are going to tear you down and attack your self-worth. No way. So this year is a year where you can experience the wonderful, beautiful, peaceful guidance of God in your life. I want you to believe with me today. So let's, let's just close our eyes. And, and if that's you, no one looking around, you're saying, Bill, that message is for me. I'm going to unpack this. I, I need it. It's like God is speaking. I'd just like to pray with you right where you're standing. Just lift your hand up and I'll see it. And you're saying, that's me. Just lift your hand up high. Yep, I'll see your hands. Great. Lift them. Keep them up. Let me see. Yep. Don't be embarrassed. It's just between you and me. Here, lift your hand up high and I'll see it. You, you need the Lord's guidance and direction right now in your life. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for these beautiful people, all of them here, who have been listening so intently. And, uh, and my sense is they're taking it in. And you're speaking, Lord, through your word. And for those that have just lifted their hand up, that are facing something, Lord, you know them, help them, that this year be a year where these matters are going to be resolved, that they're going to so enjoy being at the very centre of your will, that perfect and acceptable will, as Paul says, that just flows, like the right glove fit to a hand, the right key to the lock, that it's just going to work. Bless them, guide them, lead them. And for the whole church here, individually and collectively, as we pray, well, thank you for, 
for David's prayer, that, that wonderful prayer for the salvation of lost people who we're in contact with. Oh, Lord, answer that prayer. And all those people that we've named before you, may this year be a year of great salvation through us and our prayers of faith. Answered prayers for, for children, for, for grandchildren, for brothers and sisters, for workmates, for neighbours, people in need. Guide us, Lord, to, to people in real need that have no answer outside of Jesus. Help us to love them. Help us to, to be bold, to share about Jesus and to, eat, to go and tell them and, and also to invite them to come and see and experience community, your presence here in this place. I pray, Lord, may we be surprised with great joy at how many people are going to be saved. So use us this year in this area. And Lord, for, for our needs, our, our personal needs, grow us to become strong Christians, mature Christians, who know and revel in your will and who delight to do your will. Bless everyone, and bless the team, and may, Lord, uh, this year be just a fabulous year of progress in life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Wayne.